Welcome and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. We continue our study in the character of God. One of the ways Jesus taught was to use parables, stories to illustrate a larger point. Today, First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun looks at the story of the prodigal son. Okay, today's message is entitled The Love of the Father Part 2. It will be part of a two or a three-part series. Who knows? It might be a four-part series. Um, but part three won't happen until um, early uh, February uh, because I'll be traveling. I'll be doing some trustee work for Fuller Seminary and then some denominational work in California. I've been trying to avoid that, but I've got to do this. And uh, then I'll be back for part three, which will be a continuation of today's message. If you're not here last week, I highly recommend that you listen to last week's message to get the full context of today. And remember, you can listen to it not only on the website, but to our podcast. And, uh, and website, you can watch, listen, or read the sermon. Uh, and I know that uh, between 100 and 200 people listen to the sermons every week, so it's a whole other like, congregation out there. And, uh, and with our app, it's super convenient to listen while you're driving or running or walking the dogs like I do, and it's important to keep up if you're traveling or sick. Okay, part two of the love of our Father God for us all as we continue on in the study of the character of God. And may we really understand how God loves us as a kind papa or daddy, or in Hawaiian it would be makua kane, uh, or even like the perfect mama or mommy or makua hine. Uh, but jo uh, Jesus chose for us to say in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, which was actually revolutionary for the ancient Middle Eastern times because the religious leaders never talked about God as a kind, heavenly parent. So let's go on to our passage. The, pa the parable is one of the most famous parables in the Bible, rich and deep. And this parable is often uh, known as the parable of the prodigal son, uh, and a lot of us actually don't know what the word prodigal means. It means wastefully extravagant, one who spends resources wastefully or recklessly. Uh, but though the parable is traditionally about the son, it's really about the father. And that's why some commentators call it the parable of the waiting father or the waiting loving father. And Jesus used this story to talk about what God, our heavenly Father, is really like. He waits for us, he loves us, he forgives us. So, in the parable that Jesus told, and Jesus is a brilliant storyteller, he says, once there was a son, a rude young man, perhaps spoiled, so rude was he that he did the unthinkable. He asked for in his uh, inheritance before his father died. And the people listening to the parable go, oh my goodness, this is horrible. The gall of it all, how spoiled is that? What a jerk he is. And you know what the son was really saying to the father? He was saying this, I can't wait for you to die. I want your stuff, but I don't want you. And wow, that must have really hurt the father. And remember, the father in this story represents God. Now, before we're too hard on this son, we have to ask ourselves a tough question. How often have we, or are we saying right now to God, I want your stuff, I want your blessings, I want my answered prayer, but I don't really want you. 
I want you to help me and get me richer, healthier, more popular, successful in my job, get some promotions, but actually I don't want an intimate personal relationship with God. I don't want the, I just want the stuff you can give me, but I don't want your presence in my life. I don't want to, I don't want to actually do what you asked me to do. So are we impatient like the sun? Maybe in our prayers, we want the answers now, no waiting, want it now, release me from my pain now, give me the good stuff now. Back in ancient times, most fathers would have kicked out an ungrateful son like this and give him nothing back. Uh, some commentators say the father probably would slap him right across the face or, or worse yet, he would start beating him up. But strangely, this father in the parable didn't do that. He was long-suffering like God is with us. And what the son was asking for was that the father would have to immediately cash in, sell one-third of his property to give to this impudent, impolite son. One-third to this son, one-third for another son, which I'll talk about next time, and one-third to keep for himself. In the Greek, the word for property in this passage is bios, where we get the word biology. While the Greek word zoe means life in general, bio means life in the details. So when the Bible says the father divided his bios, or property, between them, it really means he was dividing his life between them. His guts were being torn apart, and the son didn't care. He didn't care, flat out. And he, he didn't care that he was literally tearing apart his father's soul, his life, his detailed possessions, the family legacy, and most of all, tearing apart his father's heart. And the village would have ostracized him, cut him out permanently. And I'll talk to you next time about the tradition they would do to remove him. But the father didn't retaliate, but maintained his love for him. And he endured the agony of a son rejecting him in the most acute way. The father who loved his son agreed to give his son his inheritance in cash ahead of time. And as soon as the son got his stuff from his dad, he didn't waste any time. And within a few days, within a few days, says the parable, he packed his luggage and moved to a distant land far from his family. And then we discover that being the irresponsible son that he was, he blew all of his money. He spent it all in what was called wild living. Then after his money ran out, bad news, a great famine swept the land, and he began to starve. He was so hungry that he then did another unthinkable thing. He got a job working in a pig pen. A pig pen. Now, when Jesus is telling his story, you can imagine how the Jewish crowd must have been horrified. They must have gasped or howled. No way! To the Jews, the pig is a really dirty animal. Jews don't eat pigs. They're one of the worst, to them, sacrilegious animals. If there were pig farms, oh no, that means the son must have gone to a Gentile land where the non-Jews the, the non really dislike Gentiles. This makes it even worse. But for however much the son was hired for, 
it was not enough. He was still so hungry and so desperate. In the parable, it says he ate the pods for the pigs. Slowly, he came to his senses. He had hit rock bottom, or so it seemed. He should not have left home. His father is so generous that even his servants eat better than he. They even have leftovers. So the son, to survive, decided to head home. Now, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And what was the father's first reaction? Was it anger? Was it disappointment? Was it judgment? Shockingly, no. It was compassion. The parable says, while a great distance away, the father sees the son slowly walking back to the village that will probably reject him. I wonder if the father saw him far from far away. Maybe this father was always looking down that road as many parents often wait for their wayward children to come home. Symbolically, always leaving a light on at night or as one family did, put a candle in the window, hoping and praying that one day a child might return. In our parable, the father squinted into the distance and lo and behold, he saw what seemed like a dirty, skinny, bedraggled person. It was his son. And the father began to run towards him. Maybe at first it was a trot, but then when he knew it was his son, it was a full-out sprint. He couldn't wait to be with him. And so he ran, and back in ancient Jewish times, a man of his stature who is well off would never run. That would be humiliating. But the father didn't care. He picked up his robes, for how else would you run? And he sprinted down that dusty road. And his legs were probably showing, which was culturally humiliating, but the father didn't care. And the people in the village were probably watching and shocked, but the father didn't care. And he finally got to his son, and what did he do? Did he yell at him? Did he rebuke him? Did he slap him in the face? No, he hugged him and kissed him. The father said, kind of like this picture, hugged him. The son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And before the son could even get the words out, that I would just be fine to work as your servant. I don't need even to be called your son. The father yelled to his servants, who were probably running and panting behind him. You know, like in Downton Abbey, the valets and the footmen are always like near the rich lords and things. And the father yelled to his servants, who were probably running behind him, saying, quick, right now, immediately, bring the best robe that I have and put it on him. And the servants must have looked at each other going, the best robe in the village, that would be the father's robe. And then he said, and put a ring on his finger. And they're thinking, Why, that would mean the son would be fully restored. He'll have authority again. And then the father goes, and put sandals on his feet. And they're thinking, oh, that must mean he's going to be treated with respect as a son. The father might have been trying to protect his son from an outraged family and village. 
And then he says, prepare the best calf, the fatted calf, the one we've been feeding and preparing for such a long time, for a special time. That one, this is it. Prepare for a huge feast, and we will party because my son was lost, and now it's found. And then let there be a lot of music and dancing. It's Macarena time. (laughs) Friends, Jesus gave this parable to tell people that this father is what God is like. Did you hear that? This is what your heavenly father is like. Now, there were Pharisees there, religious leaders listening to this story, and they were so much into judgment and the law and legalism and burdening people with that, and they taught that God is a strict disciplinarian, judgmental, harsh, many, many laws on the Sabbath. He used to be feared when we sin. But Jesus was saying, no, 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 no. That is not what God is like. That's, that's not what it is as, as the Pharisees are portraying him. No matter how rude or arrogant or spoiled or disrespectful or sinful you may be, God loves you and wants you to come home to him. He wants you to know how much he loves you. He doesn't want you to love him because of the stuff he's going to give you. He wants you to know his love and to know him. And so in worship, he wants you to seek and experience his presence. And that is why we have, in our worship services, sometime public prayer time. People stand up. We pray for them. They come forward. We pray for them, share some prophetic words. Or maybe like at Christmas Eve, we have miracle rose prayer time. Because we want you not to hear about his love. We want you to experience his love. That he is not just head knowledge. Do you experience it? And he is with you in your losses. What Jesus is trying to tell you, that no matter what your sin, your addiction, or your failures are, no matter what criticism you're hearing from your bosses or colleagues or classmates or friends, no matter what mistakes you have made, no matter what your sins may be, God doesn't record them or remember them to hold them against you. Now, do we really believe that? You know, in the Bible, there's a book called Job, uh, written after a man named Job, who really suffers a lot in the Bible. And it says this in um, the 16th verse of chapter 14, surely then... You will count my steps, but not keep track of my sin. My offenses, my offenses will be sealed up in a bag, and you will cover over my sin. And we're thinking, eh, no way. But friends, this is what Jesus did when he died on a cross for us. His sacrifice covered the sin that would ban us from a relationship from God the Father. God is always accessible to us. He is always reaching out to us as if we were a lost coin or a lost sheep or a lost daughter or son. Now, some of you may be saying, you know, I, can, I hear about sin, but I don't really sin. I might have made a few mistakes, but I'm basically a good person who doesn't sin. And I'm no prodigal daughter or son. In fact, it's offensive to me that you would even say that I sin because I'm so good. 
But here's what the Bible says, and um, put on your seatbelts. Uh, it's from 1 John in the first chapter. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, verses 8, which is the first line, and 10, which is the last line, um, say you're not being truthful if you say you don't sin. And then, of course, 10 is saying you're calling God a liar. But verse 9 in the middle is interesting. It begins with the word if. But it actually makes sense if it is like when you sin, when you confess your sin, know that God is faithful and just and will forgive your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. I used to read it as if you confess your sins, then God is faithful and just. But that doesn't make sense. He's always faithful and just. Great is thy faithfulness, we sing. And he's always willing to forgive our sins. So I'm almost wondering if it should be like, if you confess your sins, then you will know more fully the reality of God. You will discover after the blindness of your sin has been removed by your confession, you will then see more clearly that God is faithful and just and willing to forgive your sins. Willing to forgive your sins, really. In another book in the Bible called Isaiah, named after the prophet Isaiah, God asks, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget that mother, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Now you think, <laughs> what mother would forget a baby well, remember last week, I told you of a mother who left her three-year-old at a train station. Humans do that because she didn't want to be a mother anymore. My adopted nieces from China as babies were abandoned by their human mothers. One was left under a bridge. She could have died. One was left in a cement factory. Praise God, they were found and then adopted into my family. Humans can do that in a family. But God is saying, though you may have had human parents who have abandoned you or mistreated you or abused you, forgotten you, emotionally or physically, I will never, ever forget you. Ever. And this is what Jesus was trying to tell the people back then and to us 2,000 years later. You may have had bad parents. You may have had bad Modeling. You may have had bad religious leaders, as we may have heard like in some churches that have, there has been tremendous abuse by priests and things, but he's saying God is not like that. He's not like them. He will never forget you. He will always love you, and your names are engraved on the palms of his hands. Tattoos of your names are on his hands and heart. Jesus says, I will never forsake you and was tortured and died for you as an expression of the Father's love. And when he was resurrected, think about it. When he was resurrected and met privately with his disciples, what did he do? He showed them his hands. Almost to say, 
See, I came back for you. I didn't forget you. I would never forsake you. And your names are engraved on my hands that were pierced during my sacrifice for you. The nail holes, the wrist wounds are proof of my love. And there's your name. I came back for you. The nail holes, the wrist wounds are proof. His love has nothing to do with whether you're good or not. Remember when the father first sees his prodigal son returning, the son is ugly, he's filthy, he's probably bad breath, maybe with lice, worms in his stomach, and yet what does the father do? He hugs him and kisses him. His love is not lessened on bad behavior. And to be honest, friends, this is my concern for those who teach about Santa Claus using Christmas songs that say, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. And then comes a threat. Santa Claus is coming to town. It's like a hideous Christmas curse or threat. It's, it's a feeling of fear and trepidation that we better be good or else we may not get the good stuff. Is it no wonder when we teach our children the true gospel that kids get a little confused because deep in their souls, even as adults, is this Santa Claus theology that God does not like sinners and he will withhold his love if we are naughty and not nice? Today, banish that thought from your mind. Teach your kids something else. And when we hear that Jesus is coming back, we can think, oh no, like Santa Claus is coming to town and he's ticked rather than Jesus is coming? How great is that? How joyful is that? And I will be in the presence of God and hugged like God the father with a prodigal son or daughter. Jesus was trying to tell those people in the parable and tell us today that God will never withhold his love from us. And yes, some of our suffering on this earth is due to our sin and the consequences, right? You break the law, you go to jail, right? You're fired for cheating on the job consequences, but they have nothing to do with God withholding his love. In fact, he hopes in his love that due to those circumstances or consequences that we will come home to him as the prodigal son did. The fact is that when we do sin, when we try to live our life without the father's love or just without the father, then we will find hunger like a prodigal son. We will hunger for redemption. We will hunger for forgiveness. We'll hunger for meaning. But we often start trying to fill that void with the world's fake substitutes for good food, like pods for pigs, or make it all about us in a narcissistic way. So it becomes an iPod. <laughs> but that is not the Father's love. That is not what he offers us that will take away our spiritual hunger. The true gospel is that God the Father, the good Father, loves us and will continue to love us even when we are naughty and not nice. Then when we serve God, 
We should do so because he's our loving father, and we serve in our time and our talent and our treasure out of a love for him and not out of guilt or fear or um, obligation. See, that is why in our Raise the Sales generosity journey, where we were trying to raise some money, we chose to study for six weeks what? The character of God, the generosity of God the Father, so that when we finally made our commitments, our final pledges, it was out of his love for us and not out of guilt and obligation. It's like children who hopefully out of love for the mother or father wash their dishes or make their bed, not because they, you know, they have to as a slave or a servant or forced obligation, but because they love their mother and father. Is God ser- self-serving like the Pharisees, the legalistic leaders of the Bible to whom God is speaking to in addition to the villagers? And this is hard to understand. Do you think God wants you to serve him? The Father wants you, a relationship with you, primary. He is not careless or forgetful. Some of you might feel he has forgotten you, forgotten some of the promises over you. Know he means what he says even when we feel there's a delay. You're not forgotten. And one needs to be patient about it. Nothing to, do on whether you're, nothing to do with whether you're good or not. It's all about the grace of God. And I know for many in, in um, ancient Israel that the concept of God as father was super hard. And for some here, your dad, your mom were not there for you. And you felt abandoned, like I said last week, like an orphan. But Jesus is trying to say God is not like that. If you were to pick Picture a perfect God, okay? Think of a perfect God who is kind, loving, reconciling, forgiving, sensitive. Jesus is saying that is what God is like, unlike any human father or mother, but perfect in in what is in the deepest part of our hearts that we long for. You read about Jesus, that is what God is like. Is it not interesting that when he taught his followers to pray, he said, okay, begin with, Our Father, who is in heaven, is not our emperor who is on the throne. He could have made that. Or even our Lord, our King, true. Or worse worse yet, some cosmic force and a higher power. Pray that way. But Jesus said to call him Father. Unheard of in ancient Middle Eastern times, and even for today, that he could love us as a son or daughter and not as a slave. There is no religion that sees God as a father who kisses and hugs us and dies for us. And in many other religions, gods were kings, and everybody also served him or her as a slave or subject. Here, God comes as a servant king who washes his followers' feet, but more importantly, he says, I'm your dad. And through Jesus Christ, you become my daughter and son. And when we repent and come to him, he's not afraid to love you over the top. Imagine him running towards you in his heavenly robes. So let me close with this short story. 
There's a famous hymn that we often sing in this church, um, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, uh, written in 1757 by a man named Robert Robinson. He was a rebellious youth who lost his father at an early age who came to Christ after hearing the famous George Whitfield preach. He became a pastor first in a Methodist church. Two years later, he wrote the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Later, he became a pastor in a Baptist church. But theologically, he was prone to wander and allegedly became a Unitarian. He became more unstable, not happy. His Christian faith then began to seep away from him, and all of his training was no longer important to him. And like the prodigal son, he fell away from God. As we learned from last week, God, the Heavenly Father, is always seeking us out, whether as last week as an abandoned South Korean child or a lost coin or a lost sheep or a prodigal like Robert Robinson. So years later, Robinson lost his faith. He reportedly found himself on a stagecoach with a young lady who didn't know who, didn't know who he was. To break the monotony of the trip, she began to sing. And what did she sing? She sang, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, calls for songs of loudest praise. Teach some Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. And then in a later stanza, Robinson had written, which she sang, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, oh, take and seal it, Seal it for thy courts above. And Robert Robinson said, Ma'am, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand words if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. And she reportedly replied, Sir, the streams of mercy are still flowing. Now, to be honest, I don't know if Robinson returned to Christ after that incident. But the question is, this morning, what is your story? Is today a day that you might feel the tender grace of Jesus and God the Father saying, Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. As the worship team comes up here, in a moment we're going to sing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. But I believe there is someone here, at least one, who wants to walk down that dusty dirt road back to the Father to reunite with him. And I'm going to ask as a sign of a deep love for God the Father, as a sign of renewed faith, 
I'm going to ask if you're in that place right now for you to walk down during the song and I would just like to pray for you. And there may be others in the prayer team who might also pray with you. And my feeling is if there's just one person who comes forward, that's okay. It's just you and me and I would love to pray for you as you take this courageous walk forward down the road to God to dedicate or rededicate your life to Him and that this might be a turning point in your faith in accepting the love of God, the waiting, loving Father. So please stand right now and if the Holy Spirit's talking to you right now, come on down and I'd love just to say a short prayer for you. Just before I close the service with a, a blessing for all of us, I just want to encourage you. Some of you, the Spirit may be still be working in your heart, and you're saying, boy, I, I really want to pray with someone right now. The prayer team will be up front here in front of the cross as well as in front of the choir. Um, what? Risers. And, uh, and they would love to pray with you, whatever the issue may be. But for all of you, I have a blessing before you leave. And so receive this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you, his countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful love, unconditional love of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. May you know your names are written on his palms. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you all. Because we are human, we are naturally prone to wander. It could be wandering thoughts, or it could be physical wandering like the prodigal son. Whatever we do, God waits for us with open arms, and He celebrates when we come home to Him. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Press website, fbchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45-550 Kiwanaoli Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11.11 a.m. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the First Prez app. Watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. And if you need more info, call us at 808-532-1111. Until next time, God bless you and thanks for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2020 and produced by the media ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.